at this passage, let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Father in heaven, we have such a wonderful and glorious Redeemer. And Lord, we want to keep our eyes fixed on Him and on His glory. But we are weak. And we are so thankful that you have given us your word to direct our hearts and minds and, and thoughts. And Lord, we pray that you would use your word to direct them today to consider afresh the glory of the King we serve. Please, Lord, work among us for your great name's sake, for your son's sake, for our blessing. For we ask it in Jesus' name. The United States of America has 190 ambassador positions around the world. 67 of those positions are presently vacant. And I think probably some of those vacancies would surprise you. There are, for example, no United States ambassadors today uh, in Germany. Uh, there's not one in Kenya. There's no U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom, to South Korea, the Netherlands, or any, or most of, I should say, the Scandinavian countries. We have no ambassadors in these uh, places where we would assume we would have them, but we don't at present. The place of ambassadors in global politics has uh, always involved a certain amount of intrigue and and that's true right down to uh, the, the present. Um, some of these vacancies are strategic vacancies in nature. Others are designed to be a statement or not to make a statement. Uh, some are matters of diplomatic tactics. And some have more to do with domestic squabbles. And still others are a matter of priority and convenience. But uh, these vacancies are present anyway. You might be able to get a feel for the delicate nature of the political position of an ambassador by the decision of Queen Elizabeth I when she learned that the ambassador from the King of France had been trying to arrange for her assassination. Uh, he was caught red-handed, as the saying goes, interviewing people who wanted to poison her one who wanted to blow her up in her sleeping quarters with a keg of dynamite or simply give her a good stabbing. Uh, she had all kinds of people who were willing to take her life and the ambassador from France was interviewing these various people. I shouldn't say dynamite, I should say gunpowder. There wasn't dynamite at that point. I better correct myself there. Um, but there were all these plots and the uh, ambassador from France on behalf of the King of France, was entertaining these various uh, ideas. When the ambassador admitted it, uh, when Elizabeth found out, he begged for his life. And Elizabeth's answer was that because she didn't want to do something that would reflect blandly on all the good ambassadors by punishing this bad one, she would let him live and send him back to France. So you can see the politics there. She doesn't want to reflect badly on all 
uh, ambassadors because undoubtedly some of hers were engaged in questionable activities as well. So she doesn't want to reflect on that, so she's just going to dismiss him and send him back. Now that might sound very generous on the, on the surface, but Elizabeth knew that things were not going to fare well for him uh, when he was sent back because he was caught on behalf of the king trying to murder the king, queen of England. That wasn't going to go well. But uh, she could send him back and sort of deal with this diplomatically. Even today, in much less scandalous <coughs> circumstances, these situations exist. The United States ambassador to Turkey right now is under the threat of being expelled because of his support for the release of a prisoner who, according to the Turkish government, was part of an attempted coup. The president of Turkey, the U.S. ambassador and nine others, declared persona non grata, meaning that they would no longer be welcome in the country because the countries they represent support the release of what they view as merely political prisoners. Uh, U.S. policy in this case that literally drips with irony, and we won't go into that. But let me ask at this point this question. As an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ, are you maybe feeling a bit like you have been declared uh, persona non grata in this present age. As an ambassador of Christ, you feel like perhaps you've been declared against by the powers and authorities of this world. Some voices amplified by the broadcast venues they have access to have uh, much to say about how unwelcome the Christian faith and its doctrines are in this present age. And it can be shocking to hear it so blatantly and openly said. But the truth is, beloved, you weren't summoned by the world to serve as ambassadors. You and I have been appointed by Christ who sent us into a hostile world to represent him and his kingdom. And we are his ambassadors to this dark and dying and hostile world. Not because the world wants us to be that or has invited us here to do it, but because Christ has sent us into the world to do it. He's made it clear that this is an unwelcome calling as far as the world itself is concerned. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says there in verse 16, Behold, I am sending you a sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He goes on in verse 22 and says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And then towards the end, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? If they have called Christ Beelzebub, a devil, 
how much more will they refer to you as his ambassadors in the same terms? We live in an age of spiritual xenophobia. The obsessed with the, the need of tolerance and, and quick in its condemnation of any sort of supposed bias. The world has always had this problem. It's always been plagued with, uh, with spiritual xenophobia. In John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So the world is struggling with this spiritual fear of those who are the ambassadors of Christ in this world. <clears throat> because all the loudest noise comes from the world and those who are tragically lost in it, it's sometimes very intimidating. And I think it causes us to lose sight of who we're serving as ambassadors and what we're doing as ambassadors of this great king of ours, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude said in the 16th verse of his little epistle, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. And it's those who, by their loud voice, intimidate the ambassadors of Christ in this world. Adorned with the honor of the world, and all too often wearing the mantle of Satan, they're able to threaten and to challenge with viciousness and fear-mongering language those who stand against the truth do it with a, a viciousness that is intimidating and those who stand against those who are trying to uh, labor or um, bring forward the testimony of righteousness to the Lord Jesus Christ they oppose them in every way that they can. And they often appear far more imposing and grander than they really are. And that's why it's very important that you and I keep a sharply focused biblical view of this whole matter. Because they are intimidating. They're loud. They're, they're uh, approved of by the world. They have the support of the dark side of this world. They have the support of Satan himself. And it's important that we keep our equilibrium, our perspective, our focus, so that we know who it is we're representing and what it is we're representing in this world in the face of those things. So when you see the smug face of some media figure or the sanctimonious, oily smile of some progressive religious academic 
Are you here the cleverly deceptive ideals of some self-appointed cultural engineer? Or even look into the inflamed eyes of some wild-eyed anarchist? Look away from all that and look on the king you serve and represent in this world. If you look at all those things, you'll be intimidated by them. But if you look away from them and at your king, who you serve as ambassadors in this world, it will help you to keep your perspective. There are lots of places that we could go to in the word uh, to put our minds and hearts into focus. But I've chosen this one because I think it's probably freshly in our thoughts to one degree or another. It's the book of Isaiah in chapter 9 and verses 6 through 7. There the prophet Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of the peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the living God, who came to earth and took on your nature that he might offer himself a ransom for many. This is the king that you and I serve as ambassadors every day in our homes, in our families, in the church, and in the world. This king described here, the one who is wonderful, the one who is the counselor, the one who is mighty God, the one who is the everlasting father, the one who is the prince of peace, the one who is government and peace has no end as and is continuing to make itself known and felt in the world. That's the one we represent. And rather than being intimidated by the world, we should look to be encouraged by this king that we serve as ambassadors in this world. He is the one on whose shoulder rests the mantle of all government. He is first the one who has this government on his shoulder. Or we might say it this way. He is the one who rules the world with truth and grace. The prophet Jeremiah described the days of our Messiah King in this way, and this is Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning in verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. <coughs> that this promise was fulfilled in the incarnation of the Son of God, the Savior himself. 
clearly set forth by Jesus' own words. Jesus says of himself at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, where he's giving what we call the Great Commission. He begins that Great Commission by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He calls us as ambassadors by calling our attention to that reality at the very beginning. When you think about going out as my ambassadors in the world, remember this first. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, that being true, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All this authority is mine, therefore you ambassadors, go, go. Now, all of that doctrine is true, but we are challenged in our minds sometimes to accept this and to wonder if the king is really on the throne. Especially when we see the wicked spreading themselves like great lush trees, as the psalmist puts it. Or we see sorrow and pain in the world. And when we witness the inhumane treatment of one another among men and women, or when it looks like sin and wickedness run unchecked through society, it challenges us. Now, all power and authority is given to him, and he's ruling and reigning with all that power and authority, then why does the world look like this? And, and it challenges us in our confidence at times. But you should know this, beloved, and this is the thing that should keep your mind in balance. If the king were not on his throne, and this government of this world was not subject to him, and to his grace, the hideousness of a cursed world, plagued by unchecked sin, would be miserable beyond imagination. If it were now, as it was in the days of Noah, when the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, if that were running unchecked, you think you see darkness in the world now. You haven't seen anything. It would be darker than you can imagine if it were not for the fact that the king is upon his throne and he is ruling in truth and grace and restraining evil and keeping men from being what they could be in and of themselves. As dark as it seems, it could be so much darker if the king were not an authority. We're told that the earth was corrupt in God's sight in the days of Noah, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth.
And the truth is that unless we found grace in the eyes of the Lord in such a world, we would not be disturbed in the slightest by such evil, but we would be lost in ourselves, seeking to work out every wicked imagination of our own deceitful hearts. Oh, beloved, man is restrained in his wickedness by the grace of God because Christ is upon the throne. If he weren't, you will see unimaginable evils that you only get hints at now in human society. It is because he is ruling and reigning that things are not worse than they are. Rather than looking at sin and wickedness, sorrow and pain in the world, and asking where is God? Where is the evidence that the authority of providential government rests on Christ's soldiers, shoulders? Ask yourselves what it would be like if he weren't ruled by truth and grace. If for the sake of the elect, he was not restraining evil and promoting good despite the sinful nature of men, women, and children. That's the question that should be asked. The dominion and reign of the Messiah King is set forth in both Testaments and is one that says Jesus Christ seems to glory in this regal character that has been given by the Father won by him at the cross and assumed at the resurrection. He especially delights in its mediatorial aspects as he serves those who are part of his kingdom. And his place on the throne is evidenced by the way he ministers in the hearts and the lives of his people every day in all kinds of circumstances. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul says, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through Christ that, that spirit enters into us and blesses us and encourages us. And the very fact that spirit is present in our lives brings us that comfort and those consolations is evidence of his rule and his reign. For in Christ Jesus, he says in chapter 3 verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith. And then Ephesians 1.3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. McCulloch says, For all that is comprehended in kingship among men, the greatest royal magnificence and power, afford only a faint and imperfect emblem of the regal dominion of Jesus Christ. There is nothing sufficiently noble in the characters of the greatest monarchs, nothing wise enough in their maxims, nothing gentle enough in their administration, nothing sufficiently glorious in their courts or exploits, fully to represent the grandeur and glory of Messiah's government. This is the government we represent in this world as the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. And men ask that question. Where is the evidence of his reign and his rule? And the evidence we give is first ourselves, our lives, and the way we serve him, and the love that he's shown to us. And then we give the evidence of the testimony of his word in the restraint of evil and in the promise of the gospel and its rewards. 
He's described here as wonderful. He shall be called by his father and all believers wonderful. Probably the best way to think of this is that he is uniquely good and great. That's what we mean by wonderful. He is uniquely good and great. Psalm 89, verses 6 and 7 say, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. J. Alexander says, He is wonderful in his person, that is, who he is as God, in his works, that is what he does, and Christ is wonderful in his sufferings. As the incarnate Son of God, one with the Father, and yet taking on the likeness of man, he is truly wonderful in his person. When John looks on him during the revelation of Jesus Christ, he sees at the same time the lion of the tribe of Judah and the slain lamb. He sees both of those at the same time when he looks on Jesus. This great champion of the tribe of Judah and the quiet, subdued lamb who offered himself for us as a sacrifice. Later in the vision, he says in Revelation 15, verse 2, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast in his image and the number of his name, standing beside the sea of glass with hearts of God in their hands, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Beloved, all I'm trying to do here is to impress upon your minds and hearts that this is the king you serve as an ambassador. Do not let the world intimidate you. This is the one you are serving. This one, this one in his greatness and in his glory. The one who is wonderful. As you can well imagine, over the years, ambassadors have been placed in awkward and embarrassing positions by their monarchs and, and by their leaders. On occasion it's been done on purpose for some <coughs> diplomatic design, but all too often it's been a matter of incompetence or failure on the part of the king or the ruler. The ambassador's holding one position at the court and he thinks he's representing the king and the king's doing something foolish back at home and it ends up making the ambassador look like a fool. That happens, in part, because the very best of human beings are still just that, human beings. But your king, the one you represent in and to the world, is wonderful in every regard. And he will never leave you any reason to be embarrassed. He is wonderful, not just in his person, but in his works, all his works are wonderful in their contrivance, that is how they're planned and designed, in their execution, that is uh, the, the way they're carried out, in their connection, all the things that they, they touch 
and then in the final design or outcome of them all. And he is wonderful in his sufferings. Jesus is the one who said, it is nothing to you, all you who pass by. Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. We take people who are suffering in this world and we point them to Christ and we say there's never been suffering like his suffering. And what he suffered, he suffered for sinners. He's the one of whom it is said <coughs> in Psalm 69 verse 20, reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. He's the one who is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and was esteemed not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is wonderful because there is none who has ever suffered like he suffered. Now shamefully, some ambassadors, at least who claim to be ambassadors in his name, are embarrassed by him in the claims made concerning his person and his work and his suffering. And so they seek to make apologies for him. They work hard to try and cover for him. But in doing so, they only detract from his glory and his honor. We don't try to take Christ's miracles and explain them to meet the standards of human reason. We declare what Christ did as the wonderful one who was able to do all his holy will because he was indeed not only very man and very man, but very God and very God. We don't blanch at that idea. We don't step back from it. We aren't embarrassed by it. We push it forward because we believe it's true concerning this king that we serve. His true ambassadors say with those we read of in Revelation chapter 5 and verses 12 and 13, we say with them, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne of the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's what we say as his ambassadors. And that's what we present before people. Don't allow yourself to be intimidated by the world. But rather be encouraged by the wonderful king you represent. And then he's described as counselor. He is most wise. And he teaches us out of his word the way of wisdom and salvation. He tells us the purpose and design of God's work in the past. He helps us to understand the present and he reveals to us all we need to know about the future. The annals of history are full of stories about ambassadors who were trapped and compromised by the changing affairs of state. The inevitable flux of providence often left them threatening 
when they should have been carrying favor and alliance. Now, suddenly the political climate changed, they didn't know it, and they were uh, threatening the, the king they were, they were before on behalf of their government, but meanwhile, what really needed to be done was they needed to get them as an ally. And so the, the ambassador was left uh, hanging, so to speak, sometimes showing friendship when they should have been bracing for war. Even with all the intelligence gathering of the present age, gross errors are made in judgment regarding these things. But if you, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, direct men and women to hear and to follow his word, if you do so yourself, you will never be mocked or ever be betrayed by that trust. Never. Never. He is, as J.A. Alexander states, a counselor, prophet, or authoritative teacher of the truth, a wise administrator of the church, and confidential advisor of the individual believer. His service in this way is also described in Isaiah. This is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We serve Jesus Christ, in whom, says Paul, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in Colossians 2, verse 3. To the Corinthians, Paul says this about the counselor we serve. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. Now I was going to try to deal with all these titles in this context, but this is perhaps enough for us to consider and meditate on for this one sitting. The world wants you, as it always has, to be ashamed of your ambassadorship and the one you represent in this world. It has always been that way, it's that way now. When I, I was a boy, I'd get out in the ocean sometimes, and I'd be riding a wave, and it would be a particularly rough wave, and it would sort of plow you into the bottom, and you'd tumble and roll along, and finally the wave would let you go, and you'd struggle up and think, I'll, I'll break here for a moment, and then bam, another wave would hit you from behind and knock you down, and you'd, spit out some water and sand and get up again. Boom! Another way to hit you and you knock you over again. And finally you'd stumble up onto the shore and the last little wave would hiss up onto the beach and you'd have a moment of rest. It's the way it is in this world, beloved. The opposition of the world to truth and righteousness is like that succession of waves. It keeps coming and coming and coming. And in between, we get a little break a time to catch our breath, a 
time is standing in, but we can be sure that another wave is going to hit. We're always going to be struggling against these attacks against truth and righteousness and against our king. The world wants us to be ashamed. The world wants us to be intimidated. The world wants us to be quiet. But there's no warrant for it. Soon, very soon, I suspect politics will disengage itself from this issue. And it will simply be a matter for you and me of standing for Christ or not. That's what it will be. I don't have anything to do with political parties anymore, party affiliations or anything, but identification with Jesus Christ and his truth. And the point is, that won't be anything new, beloved. It always comes to this. We've always been persona non grata in a dark and dying world as believers. Paul described his ambassadorship in 1 Corinthians 4 this way. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become, and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And while that may be the world's view of the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, it is not our view of ourselves. You are here, chosen by God's grace, to be the ambassador, ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And while the doubters, the lost, and the wicked are ready to expel us from their midst, you and I, we carry on saying, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he is always near. And all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of his approaching will come at last. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good, and kind. That's the one you're representing as the ambassador in this world. The one where there is no other who is so loving, so good, and so kind. And we should do that with boldness and with love and with joy. I'll close with this observation by Spurgeon. There are certain ministers of state who had the right to go in and see the king whenever they chose to do so. And the pure in heart have just such a right given to them to go in and see their king at all times. You're feeling discouraged about your ambassadorship. 
If you're feeling disheartened by the world and time in which you are serving as the ambassador, go to the king. Talk to the king. You have that access. You have that privilege. It's yours. In Christ Jesus, Spurgeon says, they have boldness and access with confidence and coming to the throne of the heavenly grace. Being cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus, they have become the ministers, that is, the servants of God. And he employs them as his ambassadors and sends them on high and honorable errands for him. And they may see him whenever their business for him entitles them to an audience with him. You're on a high and uh, important calling, errand. You're the ambassadors of this wonderful council in this world. And if you feel weak or intimidated or discouraged, go to the king you represent and let him encourage your heart afresh to represent him in his glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the testimony of your word which keeps our eyes and minds focused. Lord, sometimes the darkness of this world that surrounds us creeps in upon us as well. But Father, we would be faithful ambassadors of our Lord and Savior. But Father, we pray that you would not allow us to lose sight of the King we serve. To lose sight of him in his beauty and in his glory. There is no other who is so loving and so kind. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to fulfill our errand with joy, with energy, with expectation. The King we serve is coming again. The King we serve is the Lord of glory. And we pray, Lord, that you would empower us and strengthen us to be fit ambassadors for such a king. And Lord, if there's anyone who is outside of the authority and reign of Christ in his or her heart, we pray, Lord, that even now they would hear our appeal as his ambassador. We know no other so loving, so kind, so tender. And Lord, they would look to Christ to be the king of their lives, their redeemer and their savior. Work, O oh Lord, for your own glory and receive our thanks for all your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.